1: cyberbit is offering cyberwire listeners a free live fire exercise sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire mustang panda goes to church but not in a good way Hoods are trying to spoof the FBI with bureau-themed domains, dodgy routers, and suspect smart doorbells. A quick look at the incoming U.S. administration from a cybersecurity point of view. Someone's allegedly swapping iPads for concealed carry permits. Say it ain't so, Santa Clara County. DHS investigates Windows help desk scammers. Ben Yellen on a Massachusetts ballot initiative involving connected cars. Our guest is Larry Rochefeld from Affirm Logic on the pros and cons of a Treasury Department advisory that could put companies who facilitate ransomware payments in legal jeopardy. And some more advice about safe shopping during the holidays. From the CyberWire studios at DataTribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, November 24th, 2020. Researchers at Proofpoint have detected a resurgence of Mustang Panda activity. The Chinese intelligence service threat actor has long been active against ethnic and religious minorities, Its current campaign, which features an upgraded PlugX malware loader written in Golang, is directed against Chinese Catholics. CyberScoop notes that the group is using spoofed email headers purporting to belong to Catholic journalists as part of its fish bait. Mustang Panda's present efforts represent a resumption of targeting Recorded Future called out in July. The FBI yesterday warned of another trend in spoofing. This one open to a range of unattributed actors, both state-directed and straightforwardly criminal. Phony domains recently registered that can give the inattentive the impression that they're visiting a Bureau site. The FBI's real one and only domain is FBI.gov, not .com, .org, and so on. Nor does the Bureau use prefixes like... Agencia FBI or suffixes, as in FBI Australia, within its domain. Sure, these aren't particularly plausible, but they could catch you if you're unwary. Cyber News reports that a number of Chinese manufactured home routers, including models available from Walmart and Amazon, come with backdoors. The Walmart model named in the report is Jetstream. The device available from Amazon and also from eBay is Wavelink. Walmart says it's looking into the matter and that in any case, Jetstream is out of stock and the retailer has no plans to reorder it. British consumer group Witch says that it's tested 11 smart doorbells and found them wanting. In addition to unbranded ring knockoffs, the models included systems from Kihu, c and Victor. The BBC reports that Victor's smart video doorbell was found to send users' home network names and passwords unencrypted to servers in China. The other marks tested were accused of other lesser but still serious security misdemeanors. President-elect Biden's transition is entering its formal stage. Some of the incoming administration's senior appointments will have significant responsibility for cybersecurity and related matters. Perspective appointees mentioned by NPR include Alejandro Mayorkas to the Department of Homeland Security, Janet Yellen to Treasury, and Avril Haines to Director of National Intelligence. We had occasion to hear Mr. Mayorkas a few times during and shortly after his earlier tenure as Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security. At the Billington International Cybersecurity Summit in April 2016 during his service at DHS, He singled out information sharing among government and private actors as the centerpiece of the department's cybersecurity work. He regards this as curative as opposed to an accountability function. He also expressed the opinion that such sharing should go on internationally as well as domestically, and that it should include the private sector, where companies should generally follow what he took to be the good example of the financial and utility sectors, where businesses don't all compete on security, and where they generally held that the cure of one should be the cure for all. A couple of notes on the long arm of the law, one positive, the other sort of a downer. Let's take the downer first, and it comes from Silicon Valley. Three people have been indicted in Santa Clara County on bribery charges. They include two members of the Sheriff's Department, Under-Sheriff Rick Sung and Captain James Jensen, who are accused of soliciting a bribe, and the head of security at Apple, Thomas Moyer, who's alleged to have offered the sheriff's office 200 iPads in exchange for four concealed carry permits. The Wall Street Journal says that Moyer and Sung have denied any wrongdoing, Mr. Jensen's attorney declined to comment, and that Apple representatives have said that, yes, Apple was interested in donating iPads to the county sheriff's training facility, and that, yes, Apple did request concealed carry permits, but that there's no connection whatsoever between the two. But who knew that Apple was packing around Cupertino? Allegedly. The other, the good news story, comes to us from our editorial staff, one of whom was visited this morning by two Homeland Security Investigations agents. They were at the staffer's door, not as you might expect to take him or her away in irons, but rather to follow up on a complaint he or she had made to the DHS online hotline about Windows Help Desk support scam calls he or she had been receiving. So take heart, you who are tired of scam calls. The authorities are listening. You can make your reports to uscert.gov report and goodhuntingdhs. To learn why enterprises choose SixthSense, visit six com. The U.S. Department of Treasury recently released an advisory stating that companies who facilitate ransomware payments could face fines. Larry Rochefeld is CEO at Affirm Logic. He joins us to discuss some of the pros and cons coming from that advisory.
0: Well, I think this is essentially an analogy to the situation with terrorism in the real world. So the U.S. government has always had a policy not to negotiate with terrorists or hostage takers. And that's been relatively effective. And I think they're just trying to extend that into the cyber world. Um, Though with all good intention, I think there's some repercussions of that decision that haven't been thought through completely.
1: And what do you suppose some of the repercussions might be?
0: Well, let's imagine a situation where you've got a community hospital. It's the only hospital within 250 miles for many of its patients, which is a very typical situation in parts of the U.S. And they become the unfortunate victims of a ransomware attack. If they don't have the appropriate IT systems in place to be able to recover, you're putting them in a very difficult position because basically if they pay the fine so that they can recover their ability to function as a hospital, then they're at risk of being shut down by the government because a fine could put them out of business. If they don't pay the pay the ransom, then they've been shut down by the terrorists. So they're kind of in between in a situation where with all good intention, the government may have repercussions to their decisions that they never intended in the first place.
1: Have Have we been at this long enough to be able to track the difference between companies who are transparent and, and putting out information to their constituents you know, throughout the process and folks who keep everything closer to their vest in terms of just what is one likely to have a better outcome than the other?
0: It's a great question. The challenge is you don't necessarily know the people who are doing such a good job that if it doesn't become public at all. Mm. So it's hard to measure because, you know, there is a philosophy that says sunshine's the best disinfectant. You should disclose anything that happens. On the other hand, are there organizations who have disclosed absolutely nothing and have therefore become safer because no one know that they were having a problem. Yeah. The issue may be that they're violating even outside the U.S. regulations like GDPR. So they may be taking a risk, but it becomes a business risk of, well, do I disclose, which I'm required to do, and potentially have a huge catastrophic problem, or do I not disclose and take my chances of government fines later? And so depending on kind of the impact, I think a lot of business people will make a decision essentially weighing out what the risk is versus the reward.
1: I wonder too if if there were a strict prohibition on it, you know, from from the government. I mean, would that would that almost could, are there are situations where that could be helpful to the organizations to to be able to say, well, our hands are tied; we're simply not allowed to pay the ransom. It could be
0: to a certain degree. It resolves one problem, but it doesn't resolve the other, right? So, mm. you know, you're basically saying to your let's let's use that hospital example. You're saying to your patients, hey, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm not allowed to prevent, you know, I'm not allowed to prevent this. But then. The patients could say well wait a second why didn't you do something in the first place you know i'm never going to trust you people again i'm not going to go to you i'm going to tell my friends not to go to you so the end result may be that their reputation is protected because they can say it's not my fault the government made me do this but effectively if your client base patient base disappears or if your physicians say hey we don't want to work here because what's next you know what's going to come out next my malpractice history or my other information and so there's a perception issue in addition to the reality
1: that's Larry Rochefeld from Affirm Logic. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Uh, Interesting article. This is from the folks over at Ars Technica. This one's written by Jonathan M. Gitlin. uh, And it's titled, Connected Cars Must Be Open to Third Parties, Say Massachusetts Voters. Looks like we got a ballot initiative that passed up in Massachusetts, huh, Ben?
2: Yeah, so Massachusetts back in the early 2010s, long time ago, uh, passed what's called <laughs> a right to repair law. Uh, so any sort of connected car platform or any really any mechanical issue with a car, it can't be proprietary to the dealer. So there can't be like, if you buy a Honda, they can't have it so that, you know, only a Honda dealer could potentially fix that problem. That's what the right to repair essentially is. I think we've talked about this in other contexts. Uh, My my brain is reminding me of a John Deere tractor. Yep, that's Um, right, that's right. So what this new ballot initiative does is extends that law to connected car platforms and telematics services. So Apple CarPlay, uh, you know, the Android equivalent, any other electronic system you might use in your car. Uh, The voters of Massachusetts approved an amendment to this law saying that these vehicles, telematics-equipped vehicles, have to be accessible via a standardized open data platform. Where you can bring it to any repair shop, um, you know your uncle down the street, your local shop, uh, repair right. shop, repair shop, in your small town, and not just the dealer, um, to access that data and fix any problems. Um, hmm. I think this is a, a the first of its kind in the country, uh, extending this right of repair to telematics equipped vehicles, and to me, it, it seems like a, a very wise policy choice. Um, yeah. I know in the economics world, we kind of refer to this as uh rent seeking behavior where somebody like a car dealer configures their car in such a way that only they can fix it, so right. they're you know giving themselves an economic opportunity by shutting everybody else out of the market through um, yeah so i you know I think it's it's good in in my opinion to cut against that.
1: And the automakers were not pleased about this. They they lobbied hard to uh, to not have it. They and they were saying uh, that this opens up some security issues, as uh, you know. So much of what's going on in our cars these days is all software. I like to joke that um, you know my favorite iPhone accessory is my car. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's a wonderful iPhone accessory. Uh, it's probably the <laughs> the one I use the most throughout the day. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know. I think there's certainly justified skepticism at what the car companies would say here because their dealers are going to end up losing out on a lot of uh, money that's now going to be going to third party mechanics. Um, So, you know, there's certainly a reason to be skeptical. Uh, You know, I don't know exactly the merits of the security concerns with the software. I don't know how legitimate they are and how much risk would be presented by allowing third parties to to fix those glitches. Mm-hmm. Um so it's certainly a legitimate concern but I think we have to k- kind of cast a skeptical eye on it considering that you know they are looking out for their their bottom line here. And one of the ways that car dealers make money is luring their customers back in to use them for uh mechanic services. Um, right. That's right. why they say, you know, Your first oil change is free. Next time you come in, we'll give you a free box of donuts. Uh, You know, they they make a lot of money through that. So, you know, we have to look at what they're saying with a bit of a skeptical eye here.
1: No, no, no no doubt. The service centers at uh, auto dealers are a huge profit center for them. Um, I suppose part of what's going on here is you have companies like Tesla, uh, who i think led the way in this 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 notion of um of doing software updates over the air of I- indeed you know adding capabilities to the vehicle remotely right. via software upgrades and i think we're seeing other manufacturers follow suit as the more and more cars come to you with uh, internet connectivity built in um, and i suppose i could see the the car manufacturers saying Hey, it's gonna it's gonna add complexity. It's going to add expense for us to do this. I guess it's a, that's an argument that's not without merit. But to your point, uh, there's the other side of this: is it's not fair to consumers to be locked in. Right, exactly. Um, you know, I think
2: the car companies would have to make a pretty compelling argument to convince me that there are real security uh, issues at play here. Just because, you know, in all other contexts, we trust third party mechanics to fix things in a million different circumstances. Mm -hmm. If my, uh, you know, MacBook Air got broken, I could bring it back to the Apple Store and go to the Genius Bar, or I could bring it somewhere else and somebody else could fix it.
1: Right. And this has broad implications as well, I suppose, because the car manufacturers aren't going to come up with special models just to be sold in Massachusetts. They're going to build this into, Probably everything they sell in North America, right? We see this
2: very frequently with state laws. We've talked about it in the context of uh, the California Consumer uh, Privacy Act, where you can end up setting the standard for the whole country. Because, as mm-hmm. you say, these car dealers aren't go, you know going to manufacture Massachusetts only cars. Um, so, you know that's probably one of the reasons why they fought this ballot initiative so hard. Is this is going to add some level of cost to to their production uh, for right. all domestic vehicles? So I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they this really might set the the new standard once this um, comes into place for the 2022 model year.
1: Although I, I, <laughs> I remember as a kid growing up and watching The Price is Right when they give away cars, and I always wondered what were California emissions
2: oh yes now you know (laughs) you must have been sick a lot to watch that many episodes of The Price is Right to
1: to have that memorized yeah I was a game show aficionado (laughs) look where it led me (laughs) all right Ben Yellen thanks so much for joining us thank you